1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: This is the Cork Today replay on C103.
3: As we welcome you along and hoping that you had a lovely uh, bank holiday weekend, looking through the papers today, My goodness, the people of Turkey and Syria and what they are facing today and will be facing over the coming weeks and months. It really is absolutely devastating. And we were actually hoping uh, to start the programme this morning by speaking with the principal of Koloshna Eamon Rish in the city because they're actually in Turkey at the moment. It's a group of staff and a group of uh, students, and they really appeared that they just very narrowly avoided being right in an area that was struck by the earthquake and they missed it by about hours. They were due to travel to a partner school in Mal. Uh, Malacha I think it's pronounced it was one of these Erasmus programmes and um, they stopped up in, in Istanbul they had a slight change of travel plans I don't know why but there was a change they ended up in Istanbul that's when the actual earthquake uh, hit and the school they were due to visit and that area uh, is one of the areas that has really been badly affected by this uh, particular horrendous absolutely horrendous um, earthquake and they could have been right in the middle of it. Uh, Somebody really was praying for that group to keep that group uh, safe. Now Concern Worldwide they're providing emergency supplies and shelters to those impacted by the two fatal earthquakes the one that struck Turkey and then uh, the neighbouring country of Syria. The Irish Humanitarian Organisation, they're supplying blankets and heaters to emergency shelters in an area close to the epicentre of the earthquake in southern Turkey, along with food and water. They've also opened community centres that are deemed safe so that families have somewhere uh, to sleep. In northwest Syria, concern is working with local partners there to assess what response is actually needed. But the biggest priority for people affected by this earthquake is simply shelter and it's currently way below freezing about it's kind of it's not getting off around but minus four degrees in the areas that are right at the center of the earthquake so it's the cold is the one that they're going to have a huge huge problem uh, with an entire you know sort of large buildings of, of apartment blocks high-rise apartment blocks i mean they literally just Crumbled down as if they were made of uh, Lego. I mean, looking at some of the scenes that were unfolding, and, and you know, this is where social media comes in. People were filming some of the scenes. It just really was absolutely. It was hard to watch and hard to believe what you were seeing was real. As I was saying with Mark earlier on, when we were teeing up the program, it was almost like you were watching a movie. You know, like a big horror uh, movie. There now, it seems there are some of the strongest earthquakes in a hundred years, and the aftershocks, of course, they have to disrupted uh, communications and electricity supplies And many people simply too afraid to go outside. Uh, It seems many people are just opting to sleep in their cars. Now, I know the Irish embassy in Turkey, they're urging any Irish people affected to call them. And they've got an out of hours uh, mobile number up and running. And uh, certainly it's been confirmed that it's one of the largest earthquakes that Turkey has ever recorded. And, you know, entire families have been uh, wiped out. It's hard to even get an accurate figure on how many people have died. But it is certainly running. Uh, way into the thousands at this stage. And of course, as they go through the rubble and they'll start uncovering and and digging up bodies, but they'll be digging up entire families. Then there's one picture that's making a lot of the news wires and a lot of the papers are picking up. It's a little Syrian uh, toddler uh, by the name of Ragged Ismail. She was rushed to safety from the rubble of her home after it collapsed in the uh, earthquake. She's uh, pictured cradled in the arms of rescue worker workers. Now she actually emerged unscathed uh, from the ruins in the Syrian city of Azaz, and that was just as daybreak broke. An uncle is looking after her, but he reported that two of her siblings has died, along with her mother, who was also pregnant. This little girl is only eighteen months, and you can see her as I say, picture beautiful little girl just eating a piece of bread. She's sitting on cushions on the ground under a blanket uh, later on in the day and a heater is helping to shield her from the bitter bitter cold winter weather. Her father has been found but it's feared that he has broken his back. Uh, His young daughter, this little uh, Ismail, is fine. His pregnant wife is dead. His five year old daughter and his four year old son have all been killed and they were actually refugees. They had already um, fled Syria's uh, 11 year war and of course that's the one thing with Turkey is the amount of refugees. I mean we talk about Having a lot of refugees in this country, you look to you look to countries like uh, Turkey last year alone, I think it was three point eight million refugees fled across the border from Syria into Turkey. So they are a country that is already battling and uh, struggling with humanitarian um, issues. And then for this uh, to happen, so our thoughts and prayers very much with the people of Syria and the people of Turkey. Now as I mentioned Cork Secondary School students travelling to Turkey are thankfully all safe and well following the devastating earthquake. Staff and students of Kolosh and Reish were travelling to their partner school but plans fell through on Sunday night. Their principal Aaron Wolf uh, joins me from Istanbul. Good morning to you Aaron.
4: Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing no, very good afternoon, well.
3: Well, it's afternoon with you. Yeah, I mean, it's good to hear that everyone is uh, okay. Did you actually oh, feel the earthquake in Istanbul?
4: No, no. Um, we're Istanbul is like we're, we're a thousand kilometres away, I imagine. So it's the same distance from as in Cork to Frankfurt. So um, even though we're in the same country, we are uh, we are kilometers away um, but what happened what, what our story was that we were due to fly to Malata which was hit by the earthquakes we flew on Sunday from Dublin to Istanbul and our plan was then to get a connecting fight from Istanbul straight to Malata um, because of a previous um Erasmus we were doing just in December, we had gone to Germany and we missed our connecting flight because the flight leaving Ireland was delayed. And we said this time, we won't take that risk again. Let's let's change the flight from Sunday night to Monday afternoon. And thank God we did, because we would have arrived into Malata at 12, um, 12 a.m. Our students would have gone off to live with five Turkish families and the earthquake would have hit at 3 a.m.
3: My goodness, and it doesn't my, bear like my we, we, goodness.
4: You, i mean it doesn't bear thinking about you know we're in edmund rice school and you know we really think edmund rice might have been looking after us because it doesn't bear thinking about what could have happened it really we really have dodged a bullet and we just feel devastated for our friends in Malata. we have a partner school there and um and uh, the text um, got aaron
3: what what are you hearing from the area uh, in Malata and where the school is
4: well, we, we've, been, we've been in good contact with them. So, Well, yesterday we were in good contact with them. Then contact kind of stopped, whether internet lines are down and so on. But the story from there is we got one girl and she texted. She said, my town has literally disappeared and the number of dead keep increasing. That was the text message sent by a 15 year old girl to one of our students. Um, The teacher, one of the teachers in the school, Yasmin, she's joined the search and rescue teams. They're out digging through rubble, looking for survivors. And one thing that people, I suppose, back home don't realize is how cold it is here. You know, when you think of Turkey, it's it's sunny, it's the holiday destination. In (laughs) Istanbul at the moment, it's two degrees, it's snowing. But in Malata, it hit minus six overnight. It's snowing while they're digging through rubble and the Turkish law is that no one is allowed in their home during this period so they're all outside on the streets
3: um,
4: there's an announcement theres there's a lot of there's a lot of power cuts actually at the moment so we're here in, it's it's two degrees there's no heating in the hotel because the power keeps going oh my
3: goodness um, is this is the, the, Aaron was is this your first trip to Malata or was this to be your first trip to it, Malata
4: yes it was so the school we're involved in an Erasmus project with Germany Cyprus Turkey and Italy and our project is how different countries welcome refugee students into their education system so we've been around we've we've gone to Germany we've gone to Cyprus and we visit schools and we look at how they're welcoming these refugees in. they come to Ireland and we're trying to borrow ideas to see how best you can help refugee students but with Malata we've been accredited to do more erasmuses so Going forward, we were building up a partnership with them up until 2027 that we could send our students to this school and their students could come to our school, fully funded by the EU. So there's no cost to students. And so this was going to be the first of many, many trips to this region.
3: God, it's a it's a fantastic, um, a fantastic scheme. It's just devastating that this has, has actually happened. And of course, Turkey is a country that has taken a huge number of refugees. We're talking millions. Uh, Millions. And
4: you know what? This is what we're hearing already. Like Syria has been hit. Like the number of refugees coming out of Syria is going to be huge in, into Turkey and beyond. And you know, um, it, it's another conversation looking at how refugees are welcomed in the system. We could, as an education system, learn so much from these other countries. You know, we've proposed to the Department of Education of just try, piling, you know, for the Ukrainian students, that why don't you just try and make a, uh, a Ukrainian class and get them teaching, being taught their own curriculum because the, the Irish curriculum's no good to them, and what's happening with the Ukrainian students is that they're they're doing a full day of work in Irish schools, and they're going home and they're doing a full night's work with the Ukrainian schools. Yeah. And in Germany, they they are all put together in a class and taught the Ukrainian curriculum. And we've suggested, you know, we could uh, I've offered our school services, said you know, to uh, put a prefab at Klaus Daymond and we'll, we'll we'll pilot a Ukrainian class, and it will work. Cause we've seen it work in Germany. But and there, the and topic. there
3: are there are. Ukrainian
4: teachers here as well Aaron that, well this is it you see so we do have the department have been brilliant and giving EAL support but we could employ Ukrainian teachers I know the model would work so we, we, we have been on to the Department of Education sending emails to say look trial it in our school put it pre. all we need is a room a prefab and we'll um, we can run the Ukrainian class we've a lot of Ukrainian students already of the same age group and what we're seeing as well in my school is that the Ukrainians want to all be together so we have some that, are, you know, they want to come to our school um, to be with their friends because they all live in the same hotel. They want to go to the same school. And it, it would work. I've, and, you know, we, we we're willing as a school to run it. Yeah. And, see and are, as they, a pilot. are they
3: settling in well into the school, Aaron? Oh,
4: they're, 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 they're some of the best students ever. They, they absolutely love it. Obviously, they'd rather be in Ukraine than back home, but they are brilliant students. And uh, they've added so much to our school. They've made us they made all of us think. Uh, they've made all of us reflect a lot more on what it is to be a refugee, and it, you know it's enlightening. Um, the, what they bring, it's it, incredible. It's, it's hard to describe, but they do add so much. They are so welcome in our school.
3: Well done. Well and said. we would do anything well, we can well, to help said, them. Particularly with some of the sentiment that's going around about uh, immigrants at the moment, it, it's, it's so wonderful mm-hmm. to hear, hear you say well, that. Well, that is
4: appalling. I mean, our school, our school about, about two years ago, we campaigned to stop a uh, family that were in direct provision from being deported they were called the Cannes family I remember we stopped them from being yeah yeah we stopped them from being deported and so this um you know refugees are welcome Okay, well um, certainly okay. In our school and in every Edmund Rice school as well it doesn't just go from my school in every Edmund Rice school we are we, refugees are welcome and we continue to support them and, and Aaron Aaron
3: what what is the plan now I mean you you you're, you're due to stay in Turkey you were there on an eight-day trip wasn't it
4: we were, yeah, we were due to come back on Monday. So what we've looked at, we looked at changing our flights to come home earlier, and um, it was too expensive because they wouldn't give us refunds. Um, we couldn't do name changes, so we would have to rebook again. For eight people, it was too too short notice. So we what we came up with, Eddie, we said, look, we'll, we'll see how cheap it's to stay in a hotel here. Checked out online. We saw a hotel that was the cheapest one we could find it was 5,000 euro. I said, let's go around to the hotel and we'll haggle, you know, the kind of <laughs> Turkish tradition. So we, we arrived into a hotel, And we haggled with a great great guy called Byram, and we got him down to two and a half thousand, um, which is great. two thousand three hundred. Um, And so eight of us, we we, we got in. But uh, I said, now it's a lovely hotel, but there's no heating and the lights keep going off. I know.
3: And (laughs) And what will you do for the rest of the week?
4: Well, today, now well, we're, we're going to make the most of it. So we've given the students, I don't know how we're paying for all this, but anyway, the school, we'll are we're we're, we're gonna, we'll get money somehow. Look, we've given the students spending money. We gave them 500 lira each. We'll give them another 500. So that'll get them. Because again, this wasn't budgeted for. They were meant to be living with families. They were going to be fed by their families. So we took them to a food court yesterday and we're just giving them money to say, look, go off and get food there. Um, so we're going to go to the Blue Mosque in a minute, but it's absolutely freezing cold.
3: Yeah. And <laughs> That's how, the only how, many,
4: how many are it. there? Aaron, how many's on the trip? Uh, there's only it's a small group. It's on, there's only five of them, five, five. third-year students. So they're young, okay. they're in fifth I've got one of them here, sat next to me, Jack. Okay. Um, I don't know whether you'd like to speak yeah, to him. Yeah, put Jack. Jack O'Neill Okay.
3: Jack O'Neill is his name. Okay. Hi, we'll have a quick chat Hello? with that. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? Um, you as your as your principal, um, Mr. Wolf said you really dodged uh, a bullet, didn't you? Uh,
5: yeah, it's it's actually shocking. To be honest, like, um, it's it's crazy how things can change so fast.
3: And how quickly did you hear that there... I know you didn't feel the earthquake, but when did you start to get news that there had been an earthquake?
5: Well, um, I was asleep, but um, everyone started hearing about it at six. When I woke up, I was told straight away that uh, we were going to be staying in Istanbul. Did
3: you message home immediately?
5: Yeah. Did you? I, r- I rang my mum. Okay. Yeah.
3: And had had she started to hear the news over on this side?
5: Um, I she didn't hear of it yet. I just told her about it.
3: Okay, but told her that you were okay. Yeah. Okay. And and your prince was saying it's bitterly cold over there.
5: Yeah, it's absolutely freezing. Um, it's snowing non-stop. Okay. um windy as well.
3: Well listen and en- as best you can enjoy the week in uh, Istanbul um, uh, Jack and safe travels home next week.
5: Thank you very much okay
3: just put Aaron back on there uh, just very quickly. okay um, Aaron no. listen safe safe travels home.
4: Absolutely. Thanks uh, a million. And, Thanks for and, and and attention and And
3: our thoughts and prayers very much, very much with uh, the pupils and the teachers in in Malata. And uh, l- let's hope that they all they, uh, they all are okay. Listen, Aaron, I appreciate you taking Absolutely. the time to Absolutely. talk to us. Take care. Thanks a million. God Take bless. Bye Thank bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, the principal of Kološta Eamon in the city and that is Aaron Wolf joining us uh, live from uh, Istanbul.
2: This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Today at c103.ie 109
3: people were waiting for home support services in North Cork at the end of last year. Now the Dáil assert that 2 million hours of home support to over 7000 clients was provided in Cork and Kerry across 2022 but Cork North West TD uh, Fianna Falls Michael Moynihan says more people need to be recruited as care assistants and uh, Deputy Michael Moynihan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Michael.
6: Good morning Patricia. Michael
3: do you and other TDs hear from a lot of people who've been approved for home help hours but simply can't access them?
6: Absolutely. Like people would say that the service has said, Look, we we approved the home health powers, we're waiting for um for people to um staff and then you know they outsourced uh, the HSC would have outsourced it to private uh, um care companies as well. But there are many people who are approved the service and are waiting for it. And I think this, you know, is very fundamental. Like, you know, as a family, we've benefited enor- enormously over the years from the Home Health Service uh, for elderly relatives. And I think there are many, many families. There isn't a family, I think, in the country that hasn't been touched by the fantastic uh, home care service that's out there and the care assistance, the job that they do. And I think that we really have to look at... Um, the, the points I made in the doll were that... You know there is a shortage of people going into the job of healthcare assistance, and we need to make that more attractive because that's fundamental to. You know, a better health service is fundamental to community care. It's fundamental to keeping people at home longer, which is the desired, you know, policy of the HSE and the Department of Health. And successive governments are saying, you know, we we keep people in their own homes longer. And it's, 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 it's better for the patient. It's better for the family. But we are now at a junction, you know, Six, seven, eight years ago, we were looking for constantly, it would be a question I'd be raising in the Dáil about getting more money uh, in at budget time for the Home Health Services, get more resources in to make sure and now we have the resources and we can get the people Yeah,
3: I think that that's important to point out. This is not a funding issue because I would have spoken to you over the years when it was very much a funding issue. This is not a funding issue. This is purely lack of personnel, lack of people to do the jobs.
6: It is. It is it is a lack of personnel, and you know I I think that you know there's a, a fantastic courses being offered at the College of Further Education, the the care assistance courses, and I think that you know there has to be you know last year that there was a look at the. You know, where was that shortage going from? Uh, there's a thousand work permits after have been uh, issued, to the, given to the Department of Health and the HSE to bring more people in. But I think that we have to make the job more attractive. We have to make sure that, you know, that people are willing to go on the course and that they come on stream to do the, the care assistant course and then to work in the communities. Because many Do we
3: need to pay more?
6: But I think we need to pay, we need to look at the terms and conditions and make it more attractive to ensure that we are attracting people into it. And many of the people that, you know, I would have experienced with, and indeed that I talked on a regular basis, as care assistants, they get a huge job satisfaction from their work. You know, they do from uh, the people, the patients that they're visiting, and they get a huge job satisfaction from it. But we need to make it more attractive. We need to look at the terms and conditions because we have a staff shortage in it. Why is that the case? Why have we a staff shortage in it? Why aren't there more people going into the uh, providing care uh, people that can work in their own community and that they can and you know that they can benefit of it but I think that there really needs to be um, a public campaign and there needs to be a look at the terms and conditions to make sure that there are more people attracted into it
3: and that's by both the HSC and the private home care providers
6: all, all of them because yeah. it, the HSE and the private uh, providers all of them have a part to play in ensuring that we are able to keep people in their homes for longer and that there is more home help available to the community, that the, you know, that the facility is there. It is the best for all of society. It's the best for the state, it's the best for the family, it's the best for the patient be kept in their own home longer. That has been long since debated and the proof uh, of it has been shown time out of number. So we need now to, you know, and and, and and it is an issue, I suppose, with all that is happening in hospitals and everything and all the challenges that, that are there. I think the fundamental is the home care services that are there to ensure that Anybody who needs them, you know, we have had protracted cases there with people who would be looking for a home care package for their uh, relatives. And, you know, to try and put it all together to make sure that they can be kept at home and that can be cared for 24 hours a day. It's hugely demanding uh, to look after them in their own home, but they are trying to do it. And with, uh, with home support services, they can do it. And I think it's important that families are supported yeah. in, in that and, and we
3: also know, you know, that we know that there are people, as we speak this morning, in a hospital bed and they they are deemed well enough to go home, but they can't go home because there's nobody to do the work of the home helps.
7: Absolutely. And like
6: families uh, and patients, they have deemed, they have been negotiating, they have been talking to the... Uh, the discharge coordinators and they're saying yes the person is uh, fit to go home and then they're waiting for to get somebody to do the work or to get uh, care assistance to, to, to provide that care and that has a knock on effect right up along the line. It is at community level you know, if we get it right at community level, it will benefit every layer of the health service along the way. And that, that's the point I, w- I, w- I was making uh, in the doll was, look, there is a chronic shortage, there is a crisis there. You see the figures that there are 109 people that are waiting for them uh, alone at the moment. That's an awful lot of people.
3: And that's just in, in one area.
6: In, in one area. That's, that's just one area. A, that's only in a very small area. Yeah. And if you take that nationwide... Yeah. how many
7: multiples of that is there
6: but then,
3: but then listen to this, the Home Help when they heard we were going to be talking about it today, contacted us, obviously doesn't want us to call out our details, and doesn't want to come on air which is fine, um, and is just talking about the conditions and the terms and conditions on which she and other Home Helps are uh, working She says we don't get any say uh, um, when we're forced to do overtime on top of our own hours. Some people can end up working 12 days straight with no day off There are new work rotors coming in soon and we'll be told we'll be working a Wednesday to Wednesday having been forced to work through the weekend uh, but then we'll have a Monday and a Tuesday off so many people are leaving the Home Help Service at the moment we need to the ones that we have we really need to look after
6: we need to be like we need to have flexibility because The people that are working as home care assistants throughout the country are excellent people, and we need to make sure that the terms and conditions that they are implied under, that they're happy to work in it. And we cannot have a a situation where they are unhappy, and if there's new work rotors coming in, the work rotors, whilst the HSE and the department will be looking for to make sure that they're giving as many hours as possible to patients and to clients, but it also must be in tandem with the home care system because if they continue to leave the service, we'd be in a worse situation in a month or three months or six months or twelve months' time. We need to be able to recruit. We need to be able to retain what we have and add to that because this is, you know, uh, this is something that has to be there for the years to come because otherwise, as as people grow older. And we need to be able to have that service up and running and have it fine-tuned in a way that meets the needs of the client or the uh, pa- the patient. And it also suits the terms okay. and conditions. Okay, of and, just, and
3: just finally, do you, are you hearing from people who are lucky enough to have home help, but the hours have been reduced? For example, somebody who was having one hour of home help in the morning have been told you're only getting 30 minutes from next week.
6: Yeah, we have had a number of those cases, uh, which is very worrying because, uh, you know, are they trying to, to spread it thinner on the ground? That's not acceptable because if you are to have a proper home health service, and a, a meaningful home health service, there has to be time with the client or with the uh, uh, with the patient uh, to do the, what is necessary. There's no point in having it, uh, you know, a half an hour here or, or two quarters an hour when there's an hour and a half needed. That's not acceptable. And we need to have, you know, a proper service. And the shortcomings in this is to make sure that there are more people coming in to work in the service. Thereby, what are the challenges there, the terms and conditions? And also the recruitment drive.
3: Okay, and and uh, I, I, and, I, and, and I knew once we would start seeing this, I can see a flood of texts coming in from people. A lot, of, a lot of home helps are citing people who worked as home helps. Forced to give up because the pay uh, was so low, and, and somebody's saying you can go into a local supermarket uh, and they pay uh, better. We're losing pay seems to be pay on top of conditions seems to be uh, a huge issue, particularly for some of those. I think in it, I, I think the HSC pay a fuel allowance, uh, travel expenses, but I don't think the private companies do. And somebody's making the point that you know by the time the fuel is taken out, of they're working for little or nothing.
6: Yeah, I. I the terms and conditions of it, are, and I, I think the state, right, I think, you know, we need to be very forceful in this, like the, the, the state and the HSE and the department needs to step up here. This is a fundamental service for the future of the health service going forward. It has a huge benefit in us. We need to make sure that those who are working there feel rewarded financially and emotionally, okay. properly rewarded and respected.
3: Okay, listen, uh, we it's an issue I know we'll come back to again, Michael. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Yes, good morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cork Northwest Finafoldal Deputy Michael Moynihan. Childcare reformers and NGOs are backing a campaign called "Put Children First: End Orphanage Care," and they're calling for an end to international orphanage volunteering. To explain why, I'm joined by Kevin Murphy with the group Nurture Africa. Good morning to you, Kevin.
8: Good morning, Patricia. How are
3: you? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, many people in this country will have fundraised or they'll know of somebody who's fundraised and gone to work as a volunteer in an orphanage overseas. We see a lot of young people doing it, particularly transition year students. Explain what what, what through this campaign what you believe is wrong with that.
8: Um, yeah, first and foremost, just to point out, we, we're... we're we're, we're very clear in commenting about people's the, the well, and the, you know, people we appreciate there's, there's a very positive intention in, in what people traveling from Ireland want to do. Essentially our work, um, is founded on the back of the resolution on the rights of a child from the UN general assembly in in December, 2019 and Ireland as, as one of the countries supported this and, and the, the resolution, um, committed to strengthening children's care within families and preventing the unnecessary separation of children from families, Um, very much focused on addressing the root causes of why children were being driven to institutions, um, and then working towards replacing that progressively with family and community-based care, and also really um, working on eliminating the main drivers of forcing children into institutions and orphanage volunteering was mentioned as one of those so this is very much focused um from on the on the back of the UN general assembly resolution okay
3: but as you say people people go out kevin to do this work with the very best of intentions
8: absolutely that's uh, we we 100% appreciate that i would say from from within my role so At Nurture Africa, I came into the role with the organization about 12 years ago. And at the time, Nurture Africa sent volunteers to to orphanages in Uganda. So that's where we work. Um, So within the role, what alerted me first and foremost to the initial concern was um, essentially the psychological trauma that volunteers and children within orphanages were experiencing as a result of this, because again, um, and I'm sure people probably who have volunteered overseas in orphanages, if they're listening, this may resonate. It's, a, it's obviously it's an incredibly challenging and emotive experience. And, you know, we you, you go for a short spell, you know, one, two, three, four weeks and then you return to Ireland. You're never going to see these children again. And the thought always goes to what what's going to happen to these children? Um, and unfortunately, the reality is, is for a lot, you know, when they're 18, they're shown the door.
3: I know it's it's um, listen, I, I've, I've been there. I've, I, I've done that work myself. Yeah. It's, it is so, and so traumatic.
8: Some of some of the some of the like some of the most frightening statistics related to to orphanages. So globally, there's there's an estimated five point four million children in orphanages or institutions globally over 80% of these children have at least one living parent.
3: God, that's a shocking statistic, isn't
8: it? Yeah, and this is, like, so this, there's there's been a countless amount of research that's been done over the years on this, and, and we're, you know, we're going back 20, 30, 40 years, so it's nothing new, you know, um, but the, that, unfortunately, that is the statistic that resonates the most, you know, so Um, It's not the the children within these institutions and obviously four out of five cases aren't orphans. So the reality is the biggest driver of children into these institutions is poverty and the lack of access to services. Like I've seen it myself.
3: And Kevin, we, we, we know from our own history in this country that orphanage and institutional care does not work for children.
8: Most certainly. Yes, that's and, and that's that's the reality of it. And, um, you know, the rights of a child are universal, so we can't look at a model as being un, unfit for purpose within our own country in Ireland, yet support it in another country. Um the reality is with the services, if they're provided in the right way that these children can and should be living at home with their families.
3: Yeah, and it's to push that message, isn't it, that there is a family out there for every child, whether they're related by yeah. blood or not.
8: Yeah, most certainly. And even so within again, I, I always go back to, to my own work within Uganda, you know. So um in like in in Uganda, they would always say, you know, before us, so before whites traveled or or reached Uganda, there was no such thing as an orphanage. Um So kinship care is and it's still widely practiced in uganda where you do have instances where you know children are orphaned so one or both parents um, pass away and there are children left behind and the extended family step up so that culturally and traditionally that's how um they operate in uganda you know within that family network they they come together as a group who can take the children who has the means to take and care for the children and that is very much traditional model that is practiced in sub-Saharan so Africa. so um, you know the real the, unfortunately the onset of um, orphanages, the creation of orphanages again is, is as a result of colonialism.
3: And is your campaign this campaign to end orphanage care is it gaining support is it gaining support for example from the Irish government?
8: yeah most certainly so we we're in dull erin uh, to just under two weeks ago now so we met with td senators and um, ministers obviously uh a, a yeah just a meeting in the av room to to speak with them the biggest probably the biggest issue is the kind of just um the lack of knowledge you know and understanding of um of the issue you know because on the surface, we look at it as, you know, the children in orphanages are orphans, you know, um, the reality, unfortunately, for a lot of these children in terms of when they leave the orphanages, the 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 outcomes or, you know, the the life they face is, um, you know, it, it, it's not very positive. You know, like, again, research has shown that, you know, orphanage care is harmful to children. It, you know, it results in significant de- delays, both physically and emotionally. Um delays in brain development and causes social and emotional difficulties. Um, and again, when we go back to volunteering, if we're speaking about volunteering, you know, if you've, you've said you've experienced it, Patricia, I is have, that right?
3: Yeah. yeah, I have. Yeah. I so,
8: have. so if, if you, if you, um, like, if you're looking at it from a child's perspective in your instance, let's say, Patricia, you know, you go, you volunteer in an orphanage and in you know, a number of weeks you leave. And then, you know, a week later, another volunteer comes, you know, the child makes a connection, that volunteer leaves. And this, you know, vicious cycle, unfortunately, results in those, you know, the children essentially have that detachment disorder. So that develops then in terms of, you know, they they fear building a relationship because, generally speaking, over their experience within these institutions, anybody that they do leaves. Disappears.
3: OK, listen, yeah. uh, Kevin, uh, we leave it there. Uh, it's, a, it's a great campaign. Good luck with it. And good luck with your work in uh, Nurture Africa. I was, on, I was on your website over the weekend. You have a great website. Um, uh, people should take a look. You do fantastic work in uh, Africa. Continue with that. And uh, thanks for joining us, Kevin, on the programme this morning. Thanks, uh, Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Uh, Kevin Murphy of uh, Nurture Africa.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: As we announced last week, Sir Rod Stewart is coming back to us in uh, Cork. He's playing live at the Marquee on Tuesday, the 20th of June, with the tickets officially going on sale through Ticketmaster.ie at 9 o'clock this Thursday morning. But we have managed to get the very first of the Rod Stewart tickets. And every day this week, we have a pair of tickets to give away. To get you to see Rod Stewart live at the Marquis on the 20th of June. How do you enter? It's very, very simple. At some stage between now and the close of the programme at one o'clock, I will play a Rod Stewart track. As soon as you hear the Rod Stewart song, I'm not saying which song it is, but all of Rod Stewart's songs are so well known. But as soon as you hear it, you'll need to text or WhatsApp me on 086 2103 103 and just text and WhatsApp your name and address and then stay by your phone. Because because one of the listeners who texts and WhatsApps will get a call. You'll be asked to answer a very simple Rod Stewart question. And if you, if you do that and if you get the question correct, you'll win a pair of tickets to go see Rod Stewart live at the marquee on the 20th of June. So you're listening out some stage today when I will play a Rod Stewart song with a reminder that the ticket's going on sale for Rod Stewart this Thursday morning through Ticketmaster.ie 0818 103, 103 a number of calls and comments coming in some reaction to Aaron Wolf, the principal who joined us from uh, Koloshda Eamon Rich uh, who are now basically stranded in Istanbul until they get their flight home the next uh, Monday but thanking their lucky stars that they weren't in the right place at the wrong time if they had been at their destination we would be looking at a very different story today so the group of students from the school along with the principal and the teachers are remaining in Istanbul but I thought when he spoke about in one of the reasons that they're over in Istanbul, uh, over in Turkey it's part of an Erasmus course but it's all to do with looking how other countries have accepted migrant children and refugees into their schools and how they've managed to help set settle them in and Turkey is certainly a country we can learn from because they have taken literally millions it was 3.8 million refugees poured into a Turkey last year and you know many of those have been integrated into the school system so that's what Aaron uh, and as a principal and the other teachers and the students themselves seeing what works how do you integrate uh, refugees and migrant uh, children when they arrive on our shores and obviously that's very timely at the moment and I thought the way he spoke about the refugees that have arrived here and particularly he spoke about the Ukrainian uh, young people that have arrived into their school and how they've all benefited both the pupils and the teachers have benefited from having these young Ukrainians as uh, part of their school uh, community and somebody straight has said what an amazing man uh, Aaron Wolfe is uh, politicians and bigots could take note of this wonderful wonderful uh, man so and a number of people congratulating Colossi and Reach uh, on what they're trying to do and how they are helping uh, to integrate students into their school but then somebody else came in straight away with all Irish uh, people welcome Ukrainians but it is the people who come here illegally now then the text goes into all kinds of things that I'm not I'm certainly not calling out uh, on air and the danger is that when you start to all um Uh, people who are here uh, for international protection seeking asylum for example uh, claiming that they're up to all kinds of things you're tiring everyone with the one brush and that's unfortunately not not the case. Will there always be a rogue element? Will there always be criminals? Will there always be uh, people with not the right intent trying to get into this country? Of course they will and God knows we've had Irish people go uh, abroad. Majority of them go with very good intent but we know ourselves we've exported a number of our own criminals and uh, they've gotten into all kinds of problems in, in other countries countries so I mean it happens uh, everywhere uh, but yes you are you I, I know the point you're making this isn't people who are protesting against migrants some are saying it's nothing to do with Ukrainians it is uh, to do with the illegals that come into this uh, country but that goes back to the whole process and I know I heard on the news um, uh, there that the guardi are now going to get involved in and in going overseas to international airports we have to stop people coming into this country who uh, you know get on get onto a plane and then by the time they get off the plane all their paperwork has suddenly disappeared. We certainly need uh, to look into that. 0818 103 103. and then I spoke with Michael Moynihan and when I was talking with uh, John Paul in the, in the office this morning before we came on air I said you know we are going to get a huge amount of calls whenever we talk about uh, home helps and home care providers who do a fan fantastic job and I think Michael Moynihan was right there are very few families who haven't been touched in some way over the years where a home help and, and we still refer to them another known as, what are they known as now home care assistance, but we would still affectionately refer to them as the home help and when they come in uh, and we've all had experiences with a family member maybe an elderly parent a grandparent who needed to have a home help come in in the morning or in the evening and to help them to live as independently as possible and we all know what a wonderful job they do and a wonderful role uh, that they play but we've had a problem with recruiting and retaining home helps and you know we need to do something about it because it is a time bomb uh, ticking Uh, some of your calls and comments as I say I knew we'd get a flood of calls and comments on this one somebody says uh, Patricia I know a lady who uh, was Granted home help hours for 45 minutes a day when she needs so much more than that, if she was given more, she'd be able to stay in her own home a lot longer. It is a total shame. And that's the one thing that home care providers do. They keep people in their own homes. They keep them out of nursing homes. And we know there will always be a need for the nursing home model, but the nursing home model is so much more expensive then looking after and supporting somebody to remain for as long as they can in their own home. Now, Carmel is a home help and she says because of the terms and conditions, more people are and will leave the profession. She said this new rota system, and there's a couple of people talking about that, uh, means that you could have different people calling to your home. This is the person who needs the home help on a weekly basis. Many clients do not want that, especially those who live with dementia. They get used to a carer and they want to see that carer returning. Also, the time spent with the person has been reduced all the time. In many cases, it's down to 30 minutes where you might have to get them out of bed and get them dressed and get them ready for the day. You have to do that all within 30 minutes. There is a lot of social interactions that home helps have always done, but that's been all taken away from us because you You've got to get in and out in 30 minutes. So there's no time to chat to the client to see... Kind of a day, kind of a week if they've been having, you know, keep them up to date with all of the news. You don't even get the chance to clean out the fire anymore. Uh, It's just get them out of bed and get them dressed and get out the door as fast as you can. Home helps are HSC workers, public sector workers. So to think so many are leaving the public sector and going to work in the private sector instead. That is saying enough. It is simply unbelievable. Says Carmel, who I don't know if she still is a home help or she has worked as a home help. And then there's a variety of people have come on to us who really please, please, please don't call out my name, including this uh, texter. says, morning, Patricia, I hear on C103 News that workers in Aldi, the German supermarket, will be receiving €30.85 per hour. From February, and that's corresponding to the living wage. I applaud Aldi for doing this. We all go out to work to make a living, but many of us don't receive what is even rated as a living wage. I'm a care assistant working in the community, receiving less than the living wage, far less, to be honest, because I'm expected to pay for 75% of the fuel I use to do my job myself and by the way i can't do my job without driving from one client to the next uh, client now what wage am i left with 10 maybe 11 euro an hour at very best wear and tear on my vehicle and time is not considered either nor is the fact that i need to pass several mo- modules of fetec level 5 exams just to be accepted to do the job no wonder it is difficult to get people to do my type of work being badly paid is a definite source of being poorly respected and it allows then a poor working relationship persist between the employer and the employee we are keeping people out of nursing homes and in some cases we're keeping people out of acute hospitals are we to continue to be poorly paid for our extremely valuable work once again I say well done to the German retailer uh, Aldi and that is signed disregarded. And the the minister has put her full name on it and says, please don't call out my name. And isn't it also, she says, a sad situation when one needs to complain anonymously, but for fear of the backlash. And then someone else says, Patricia, I worked in a nursing home in North Cork for six and a half years. I was on 11.25 euro an hour and a mortgage. Three teenage children loved my job and was, if I say so myself, good at it. But I just couldn't afford uh, to work there anymore. I'm now currently working with uh, Cork County Council as a driver. Completely changed uh, profession and, and we're losing the good workers, the workers who have great skills and were good at their jobs. And somebody else who says can't come on and I also have to remain anonymous, asked for more hours with the HSE Home Support Service and wasn't given any extra hour. Yet, they can ring you at a moment's notice to cover when somebody phones in sick. You have no consistent hours yet you're supposed to jump if a person is off sick. Sick. The system is a mess. I know lots of people who are leaving healthcare and lots of private companies who are coming in taking over the hours that the HSE were doing particularly when people are not available to cover. What is going on? I can see a bomb coming to healthcare. Nothing can stop what's uh, coming and I think it's one of the reasons that Uh, Michael Moynihan raised it at all level because he's seeing it just on a local level just in his North Cork area in a small area he says he has 109 people that he is aware of that have been assessed as needing home care hours. But simply can't get uh, the workers, and we are hearing more and more people leaving. Something needs to be done. We need to make the job more attractive. We need to have better terms and conditions, and certainly, in a lot of cases, we need to be paying better as well. 0818103103. 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. 103.
2: C103 Jobs
3: a person is wanted for data entry and office admin it's in the donna area now experience in excel and word is necessary cvs and a cover letter please to hr agri txt at gmail.com and you need to have it in by the 10th of february nazareth house nursing home in drumaham they're recruiting healthcare assistants you need to have VTEC Level 5 are the equivalent. CVs please to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com. A sales assistant required from Mallow Town. It's part-time to begin with, but then it'll cover one year's mat leave. Full training will be provided. CVs to fitzpatrickmallow at gmail.com. And an experienced tractor driver is wanted for an agricultural contracting service in Churchtown 86 3 you will find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103.
2: Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. See MIG.ie.
3: Mandatory theory test should be enforced for dog owners. That was the message relayed to an Oroctis committee discussing dangerous dog breeds last week. The call came from Nancy Creedon, uh, who is a canine behaviour expert and with Creedon's College in court and Nancy joins me. Good morning to you, Nancy. Good morning, Patricia. Always great to talk to you. Would, what you're talking about here and what you suggested to the Oireachtas Committee, would it be similar to a driver theory test that people would have to do before, like we do for getting a learner permit?
9: Yeah, my proposal would be to do something almost identical to the theory test for driving, um, which, again, wouldn't cost that much. I think it's something around €25 for the the theory test for driving. Uh, And the concept of it is not to give people exams, and it's not to tax people and not to quiz anyone, but it's to get education out there across the board. Because, unfortunately, between the social medias and the TikToks, there's so many pretend dog behaviour experts out there giving bad and incorrect and often dangerous advice So I think the state should be providing the Irish public with the correct dog training and dog behaviour advice. And to do it across the board, that's where I think the mandatory theory test will come in. Um, Simply just to make sure that everybody's up to
3: speed. So what sort of information would people need in order to pass this theory test?
9: Well I I would propose to have something similar to the Driving Fury Test DVD and manual and the priorities will be looking at bite prevention, looking at potential triggers for bites, looking at how to understand your dog's body language responsible ownership um, and also making sure that people are very aware of how to care for their dogs in a way that doesn't impact non-dog lovers I think that there's a massive population of people that are either nervous or uncomfortable around dogs, they just don't particularly like dogs because of rude dogs and, and ill-informed dog owners allowing dogs to bother people. So I think it's both showing the the non-dog loving public that us dog owners are responsible and we want to do our very best and then making sure that the dog owners that think that they know how to care for their dog and think that they understand dogs really get the proper science-based education because every single person that I work with whether it's someone who owns a dog coming for training or students who want to work with dogs the common denominator is after training they always turn around and say wow there's so much I didn't understand about my dog. I have a lot of guilt for doing things wrong in the past. Going forward, I now know how to look after dogs properly. So so information is out there. It's just is too much bad information. So if we can formalise the correct advice, uh, I think wouldn't the world
3: be a wonderful place? Ah, absolutely. Do you know if it operates in any other countries?
9: So New Zealand has it. Um, oh. Responsible Dog Ownership Licence and it's made a massive impact on reducing their fatalities. Um, Switzerland, Austria... Um, and there's one more that's gone from the top of my head Um, but the model will be very similar to what they're doing in New Zealand which is basically the government has provided the advice you go off you read the information you learn it you go in and do your multiple choice quiz and by the end of it then you get your dog license you've shown the general public that you're a responsible dog owner and if you're sitting at home saying sure I know everything I need to know about dogs you'll ace
3: the test it's no big deal Yeah, yeah that's a good point Alan wants to know does Nancy believe there's no such thing as a bad dog but rather a bad owner?
9: So that freeze makes my toes curl for two reasons, all right? Sometimes dogs are born with genetic or medical or some sort of abnormality that does cause them to do unwanted behavior. So sometimes there is something off with a dog. And it's very, very rare. I have yet to meet a dog owner who I would class as a bad dog owner. They've just been given the wrong information. And they're all doing their very, very best with the knowledge that they have just bringing up the education will help everyone become a wonderful dog owner because there's, it, 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 the probability of someone out there saying, I'm going to get a dog and be a horrible person and mistreat the dog, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. you know. It's just people being misinformed and not having the right support and not having the right places to go to get the right information because people are gobbling up dog training and behaviour advice, it's just unfortunately with the TikToks and the Instagrams there's a lot of bad advice out there they've got the followers, they've got the views um, but they're not giving sound solid scientific advice uh, which is why I think that the state should be providing this advice from the right experts to make sure that everyone's on the same page
3: because yeah, we hear about dogs, uh, particularly God help us, the ones that are raised in horrific puppy farms and mm-hmm. we can hear about, you know, you hear owners and we've spoken with vets in the past talking about behavioural issues and it's to do with the start that they had mm-hmm. in, in life. Can, it's can, heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. But can can you work around that with correct training? I think that needs to be more legislation now
9: I've seen a lot of people online complaining that the government aren't doing enough in relation to the Dog Breeding Establishment Act while I was up there I overheard multiple conversations that they really seem to be trying to make a difference right now what I think the a very straightforward solution here is that as the, as the government has a Dog Breeding Establishment Act we should have one central website with every single registered breeder's details on it and on their details is the photographs and the videos of the last inspection of that property if people saw where their puppies are coming from they would be disgusted absolutely disgusted and I know of so many puppies and so many dogs that I've worked with that have come from puppy farm backgrounds that have significant behaviour problems and once the owners become aware that uh oh it sounds like a lot of the red flags were raised when I bought my puppy they're embarrassed they're upset, and they feel a lot of guilt
1: Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
9: So if there was the one central website with the photos and the videos, you wouldn't be able to buy a dog unless the seller was on that website, then you've got the information. Because I know of a lot of very, very responsible breeders who take the utmost care of their puppies and make sure that the parents are of perfect health and perfect temperament and they're getting lumped in with these horrendous money grabbing puppy farms and that's not fair. Yeah. So people could see behind closed doors. You'd then have the choice. If you do insist on purchasing a dog, you'd know where you're getting it from and when people see how horrendous puppy farms are, they'd be going to the rescue centres yeah, and we'd be cutting yeah, down on the yeah, number
3: yeah, you'd of dogs. You would never buy. And you know, don't be sucked in by when you go to pick up the puppy. Oh, you'll never find my establishment. I'll meet you in the car park of the local super, super oh, value. You know, I mean, it's... it's yeah. a, do you believe every dog is capable of biting?
9: Mm, oh, yes, of course. It, I yeah. mean, I used to bite when I was a child, oh. despite oh. <laughs> despite my parents' best interests. Um, every single dog has the potential to bite. And what people misunderstand is that when dogs get hyper that's when a bite is much more probable. So what I mean by that is people are putting bands on different breeds and and assuming because your dog looks a certain way or it has a scary name, it's going to be more likely to bite. When every dog becomes dangerous is when they're either super hyper or stressed or frightened. And what happens is their brain starts using the hind part of the brain. It's when your body goes into that fight or flight mode. You start using the hind part of your brain. The sympathetic nervous system kicks in. And when that happens to us and to dogs, all your behaviors are going to be they're going to be reactive they're going to be emotional your threat interpretation is reduced and your motor control is inhibited so what that means for us is when we start panicking we start saying you know i was so cross i couldn't think straight i was out of my mind with worry you go to pick up your keys to rush out the door and you drop your keys it's the same for dogs so when they're playing in the back garden kids are jumping on the trampoline the dogs are getting more and more excited once they flip into that sympathetic nervous system activated state um They're then no longer your pet dog. They're just a dog responding on instinct. So that's when kids get grabbed. That's when dogs knock things over. And that's when dogs can get overexcited and start doing behaviours that are play behaviours, but suddenly it's with someone's arm or someone's leg. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where these attacks are coming from. And that's why I implore to every single parent and every single dog owner, don't encourage hyperactive behaviour. Your dog can play. Your dog can be full of beans. But is your dog still responsive and still listening and still doing a sit or give the paw? If they're still thinking logically and able to respond to to instructions, that means they're still in the front part of their brain, all good, the dog is still thinking. As soon as they become that frantic way, get your dog out of that situation, get your kids out of the situation, encourage calmness, um, and that's the best way, in my opinion, to keep everyone safe.
3: You're just an absolute mine of information. How do you (laughs) feel about the restrictive dog breed list? Does it work?
9: So... It does not work. One thing it does is if you want a big, bad, scary dog, you're going to get the breed that the government says is a big, bad, scary dog. Uh, I recently adopted a Rottweiler German Shepherd mix um, who is just the biggest idiot. I mean, he, he's not the smartest dog in the world, but I've got two small kids. They're brilliant with him. He's brilliant with them. Everybody listens to each other. The breed does not play a part. It's how the dog is raised. It's their learning history. It's the dog's emotional state. It's the dog's physiological state. It's what's going on in the that circumstance and that's where the theory test can save lives because people can start spotting my dog's getting a bit hyper he wants to grab my my sleeve i'm going to stop this play and i'm going to calm him down or they'll notice that okay dogs are more likely to bite when people approach them in a corner okay little girl come away from the dog who's in the corner it's situational it's not breed in el salvador they've got the highest number of homicides per population I'm not going to say that people from El Salvador are going to murder me. That's stupid. You know? Mm. So when people are still preaching that banning breeds will help to save lives, it didn't help the little baby that died recently. didn't help the yeah. two babies that died in the UK over the last decade. So it's, we're looking at the wrong, we're barking up the wrong tree. We're basically yeah. barking up the wrong tree. And we need to look at behaviour, we need to look at bite triggers, and we need to look at owner education. And if you think you know it all, do the
10: test, you might learn something.
3: Yeah, and, we, and we do have laws uh, in place, but enforcement is the huge issue I mean we, we don't have enough dog wardens
10: We don't have nowhere
9: near enough dog wardens. What I was um, proposing up in Leinster House was that we should establish a dog, whether it's a dog safety board or a dog um, wealth organisation, some sort of state-driven organisation that will then oversee the puppy farms, oversee the implementation of legislation, oversee the penalising of people breaching legislation and increase the numbers of people on the streets and doing these inspections because the money's not there. I mean, the government is still pumping money into outdated industries such as the greyhound race and so on, whereas that money could be used so much better in welfare and so much better in implementing legislation that we do have, although the control of dogs is quite outdated, so new legislation um, because we're dog lovers, we're a nation of dog lovers, we do want the best so let's put people in positions of, of power I guess to implement what is the right thing to do and what is the best thing to do for dogs and dog behaviour and for the people that don't love dogs and don't like dogs and are being bothered by the dog owning population, let's make sure they're they're feeling and their their opinions are respected. Yeah, everyone will Everyone will benefit. Be yeah, everyone ev- will benefit.
3: I, I I saw a piece by I think it was Jack White in the Examiner uh, today where you quoted. You are planning on offering a free webinar uh, through Credence College to tar- targeting parents. Yeah,
9: so it's basically targeting everyone but my focus will be covering the multiple different potential triggers for dog bites. So as a mum and as a dog owner, I'll be giving you information on the the things that I'm spotting to my own household that if I handled in the incorrect way could escalate and be- could become a dangerous situation. Plus just dog owners in general want to learn a little bit more about making sure their dogs don't bite and people who don't like dogs who want to make sure that they're a little bit wiser of the potential triggers for dog bites too. Um, and I'm going to make it a live webinar but also leave it there for available not infinitely. We also have a free um, Is Your Dog Expecting Your Baby online course as well for expecting parents. Uh, again, it's free of charge because it's such critical information and I, like many of us, we believe, you know, knowledge is power. The more educated we are, the better we will be um, and by prevention is such a passion of mine that I just, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep bothering the government until we see real changes because these fatalities have to stop. And what
3: is your website where people can find out more information so at the minute to, to enrol on the
9: webinar it's actually uk and there's a box that will pop up that they can put their email in and that means they're then subscribe to the update once we have the, the date finalised for the webinar and straight away now they can do the Is Your Dog Expecting Your Baby course on credencecollege.ie.
3: Okay, fantastic and just actually when I was reading the piece uh, in the paper this morning when, when I saw you being quoted, the piece right beside you broke my heart and I'm sure it should break your heart as well if you haven't seen the examiner yet. Uh, it's uh, an. Animal Welfare charity appealing for help following 394 requests from yep. the public looking to surrender their animals since Christmas yep. Day.
9: Yep. It's dogs trust. We said it was coming, we knew it was coming, and 400 lovely situation ah. of all the lockdown puppies. Yeah, it's 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 getting out of control and it's it, in some ways it's becoming ignorance rather than innocence where people are making these foolish decisions around dogs. It's going to continue to happen fatality is going to in, in, continue to increase. We need to put um, real legislation in place that's protecting the dogs protecting the public and minimising this because it's, it's, as a nation of dog lovers nobody wants to see that head. No, no, no one wants to see it and the rescue centres can't cope.
3: Yeah they're full. They're absolutely full. Yeah. Listen Nancy as always pleasure to speak with you thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, William. Uh Good morning to you. That is uh, Nancy Creedon of uh, Creedon's College in uh, Cork. Great words of advice as always.
2: This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie
3: And just to give you the heads up, we are one week exactly away from what is deemed the most romantic day of the year, Valentine's Day. And many couples will come under pressure to celebrate it in as way way as possible. While one well-known Cork bar and restaurant have decided to change the traditional format of a table for two and to explain why Ernest Cantlin, owner of Electric based on the South Mall uh, joins me. Good morning to you Ernest.
7: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
3: Well listen you're very welcome. You're abandoning the table for two and you're only taking bookings for a table for four or more. Can you explain why?
7: Yeah, I think um, to use it's a bit of a cliché at this stage but I think coming out of COVID, we all kind of realised that um, both work and life and everything else is what we make of it. And there are some things that we used to do just because we felt obliged to. And um, I think we kind of realised that if they're not that enjoyable for the, the operator, the staff, they're probably not that enjoyable for for the customers either. And I know usually for me, even personally, I put the head down for January and um, around Valentine's is one of the first kind of nights back out after Christmas. You know, we've got the, mm. the credit card bill out of the way whatever else. And I, I guess for a lot of people it tends to be um, an expensive night because you're going to a restaurant, uh, there's probably babes babysitter involved or taxis, all that kind of stuff. And we just thought if you're, you know, particularly at the moment when people are a bit pinched, um, why not make that as enjoyable a night nice, uh, as possible? And um, I just have never found Valentine's to be a very pleasant night to work or to go out purely because it's very intense, it's very subdued, Um but yes, you know, you're you're going to that expense and planning, why not make it as enjoyable a night as possible? So we kind of canvassed our staff and our regular customers and um, people had all sorts of interesting things. There was one lady on her birthday's on Valentine's and she's has adult children. She said she always wants to go out and bring them out on Valentine's, but they won't because, you know, they'd be the only people in the restaurant that aren't a couple, for example. So they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're one example who are booked into us now. Um, so yeah, it, it seems to have caught people's imagination.
3: And have you had to turn away couples who've tried to book?
7: Um, so we said most of our bookings come online okay. and we said it so it's only for, the, the smallest table size you can book is four okay. um, <laughs> yeah.
3: so, so people know straight away forget if you want your romantic meal for two go somewhere else but, yes. but yeah our,
7: I think they'll have no shortage of options
3: absolutely yeah. but Ernest do you notice that all year round that people appear to have much more fun when there's more people at the table than just you and your partner
7: oh I, I think um, probably six is the optimum number uh I've been doing this a long time and if you have a bigger group people are at opposite ends and you know you, you end up just talking to the person opposite you almost like at a wedding whereas six seems to be where everybody can talk to everybody and there's the most interaction invariably three couples are six friends who haven't caught up in a long time and um, they seem to be the people who are the second or third bottle of wine you know stay after and just seem to be having fun make a bit of noise and um, that's an atmosphere and look a Tuesday in February might not always be the most fun thing so if we can introduce a bit of fun into it um, why not
3: yeah, and the one thing that frustrates me, uh, and I all oh, I seem to notice it more and more when I'm out, if you'll see couples, you know, sitting at the table for two, and both of them on their phones. On their
7: phones. I knew who oh, was going to yeah. say it. I mean, but that would never happen with a group of four or six. I don't know why, but I think I, look, um, and I, I I I love my own wife very dearly, so I'm going to be very careful. That I'm not going myself <laughs> in trouble here, but um, but. Uh, I'm lucky enough every Wednesday night we have a babysitter and we go out the two of us and we don't necessarily go for dinner but we go to the cinema or we go to the gym together or we do something and we catch up and we talk uh, so I suppose t- like, it's not like that we'll talk in Valentine's and not talk again for another year you know we've, we we regularly talk so I suppose we don't need to set aside three hours on Valentine's night to, to catch up because we, we do it regularly
3: yeah.
7: but there's people that we haven't seen since Christmas or that we missed at Christmas so the chance to go out, um, you know, to, to use that like it's a free pass, I suppose people only expect you to go out. so You don't feel guilty about spending a few quid on the night. And um, uh, the chance to catch up with friends or even or the couples, a good old-fashioned double date, nothing yeah, wrong with yeah,
3: it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just please ditch the phones, lads. Uh, leave the phones uh, uh, behind. And I also saw you using the night to launch a new, uh, it's a tasting menu. So what's going to be yeah. an offer?
7: I suppose we, we had a bit of a... Uh, Maybe motive sounded a bit underhanded, but if you know, if we put out a press release saying Cork restaurant launches tasting menu, um, it's not exactly newsworthy, you know, we <laughs> wouldn't be chatting. Whereas uh, we just said, if you know, if we're going to get people to come out and do some Valentine's, okay, let's give them a different offering. And during again, during COVID, we changed electric, was um, we're there 12 years, but going to cover go there 10 years, thankfully, very busy, but doing the same thing steaks and seafood. And we just said, geez, we'd love to do something different. So, so we converted the building to Asian food, Asian cocktails, and um. It, it took a little while to click, but thankfully now it is, it's flying. People are we're getting a lot of repeat business. and um, But we still are using Cork ingredients, and that's what Cork is known for, especially down in, in West Cork. So, like our our duck, which, you know, duck would be a big thing in Asian menu, Chinese menu. Yeah. Um, our duck comes from Scannor, just outside Balladdy Hob.
3: No know it well. Um,
7: we have uh, rope mussels from Roaring Water Bay, all those kind of things. So we just said, I, I suppose you wouldn't, um, usually when you see, a, a, say, an Asian restaurant somewhere, you wouldn't associate it with local ingredients. Um so for us, we said, let's celebrate that. So we've, we've put together a tasting menu highlighting all the, the best local greens that we have and cooked in the Asian style. Um, so I think also for Valentine's Night, that'll be, you know, kind of a talking point of something different. And and the, the food is the, the way the menu was done. Um, it's uh, like a sharing menu. So, for example, there's a big pot of mussels that go in the middle of the table and things like that. And um, it's to make it interactive and just to you know. And that
3: lends uh, itself straight it. away to interacting. And what are you thinking oh, of it? To. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
7: But but but,
3: but you, Ernest, you really are a big fan of using cork ingredients. I mean, you, you, you do. Uh, well, we're, yeah. we're 100
7: meters from the English English market, so I mean, yeah. it's we'd have to go out of our way not to. And um, as I said, we're we're lucky. Like we've been using say uh, Tumi's and Macroom for. As I said, nearly twelve years now. Things like we open, uh, we open. So you build up those relationships, and you just there's a level of trust in them too, like you
3: know. Yeah, and we need to keep we need to keep um, promoting and supporting, particularly all of those smaller, the uh, little artists and food producers um, as well. And I mean, Ernest, I think everyone in hospitality and the bar trade. I'm assuming everybody had a good Christmas. Is, that was brilliant. is, is the brilliant. is the new year being tricky for, for some?
7: It's kind of all about weekends, I think. Um, January is always a wretched enough month, to be honest, we just put the head down and get through it. You know, um, uh, the weekends we pay the bills and there's a bit of money left over after Christmas. And I said, thank you, we're here a long time, and no surprises. Um, But we encourage most of our staff to take holidays in January. Um, So that kind of makes it work. And even this weekend, though, there was a big uptick. Like rugby um, kind of brings people out again to start at Six Nations. For us, we're always kind of, Okay, once you get to New Year's Eve, head down until the rugby starts and then you're then you're away in hack again. But I don't think um in your honesty will be surprised by January being quiet. It wasn't any quieter than usual, as I said, the weekends were good, Saturdays were good, but Wednesdays and Thursdays were were tame enough.
3: Yeah. Good results on the weekend for the rugby. Oh, my God, it was phenomenal. <laughs> the rugby was fan it was brilliant. It yeah, was brilliant. great. It was great. Uh, Maura says, what a fantastic idea what Electric are doing and creating an atmosphere. Uh, people feel under so much pressure to do this big gesture on uh, Valentine's Day. I'm married 43 years. We're very lucky. Still, much, still as much in love. But some people just go out and pretend uh, well done to everybody in Electric. OK, listen, we leave it there. Good luck with it, Ernest. And uh, thank, thank you so
6: much. I really appreciate it. Well,
3: thank you for joining us. Good morning to you. Uh, bye bye that is uh, Ernest Cantlin who is the owner of Electric on the South Mall if you're planning a table for two then you need to go somewhere else John Paul is taking your calls 0818 103, 103. text and whatsapps uh, coming into us on 086 103, 103 and don't forget uh, we have the C103's summer giveaway it is coming very very soon we have three amazing holidays to give away we're giving away a holiday to salute a holiday to Lanzarote and a holiday to Majorca. you'll be listening out for the C103 Sunshine Song of the Day for your chance to win a summer getaway, and the C103 summer getaway starts next Monday, the eve of Valentine's Day, the 13th of February, and we'll be inviting you to win your chance to head to Salou, Lanzarote, or Majorca, only on C103.
2: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: Rod Stewart coming back to us to play in Ireland this summer. He plays live at the Marquee in Cork on the 20th of June, and we've got the very very first set of these tickets to give away because the official tickets don't go on sale until Thursday. Uh, Olivia O'Sullivan is in Banchery. Good afternoon to you, Olivia. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, you were very quick off the mark. Huge, huge response, I have to say, on this. Obviously, are you a fan of Rod Stewart? Um, I would be but my dad would be more yeah I tell you the amount of people that I've heard saying uh, that I've been speaking to over the weekend saying oh, I'm going to bring my mum I'm going to bring my dad and yeah. has, has he been to see Rod Stewart before no, not that so I know of, anyway. Oh, and would you go along with him? Or I would, yeah. You? Would could. you? Yeah. And I tell you, Rod Stewart live is amazing. He really is I'd amazing. I'd say he'd be good, yeah. Okay, quick question for you. It's an A or a B answer. Where is Rod Stewart from originally? This is your dad will be going. She better know the answer to this. <laughs> is it A, London or B, Newcastle? Think of his accent. Is it A, London or B, Newcastle? Um, London Yes is it? it is London well done I'm sure because your dad will be screaming somewhere <laughs> going if he's listening to the radio well well done you've won the very Thank first very pair much. of tickets live at the Marquis and enjoy the gig with your dad okay congratulations bye bye -bye. Bye -bye. that is Olivia O'Sullivan in Bantry and we will do it all over again tomorrow and indeed every day this week uh, because the good people at at, uh, Aiken Promotions have kindly given us four sets so one to be given away every day uh, this week and we'll run with the very same format I'll play a Rod Stewart track you text WhatsApp in. One lucky listener gets the chance to join me on air, answer a quick question, and if you get the question right, a pair of tickets is yours. Live at the Marquee on the twentieth of June, and as I say, those tickets are going on sale on Thursday morning, nine a.m. Ticketmaster.ie. Oh eight oh s- eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul continues to take your calls. We've been talking this morning about home helps. And this very much kicked off uh, with my chat with Cork North West Deputy Michael Moynihan. And he actually raised this issue in the Dáil uh, last week. He was talking in particular about his own area of North Cork and how there's 109 people. That's just in one small area of North Cork who are waiting for home support services. These are people who have either come out of hospital. Some of them could actually still be in hospital and it is deemed... They can stay at home. They can live at home, but all they need to have is a little bit of a support through the home home support services. And they have been assessed, and they said, "Yes, you need it, need it." And yet, we have 109 people just in the North Cork area alone uh, waiting and not able to get these support. And that then led to a whole discussion about what do we need to do to retain the great home health workers that we have and to recruit people in new people in as uh, care assistants. And I have to say, a number of people contacted us. It saddens me that they have to contact me anonymously. Uh, Many people are working with the HSE and they're too fearful to join us on air, too fearful to say their names for fear there'll be any kind of a a backlash against them. Uh, But all of them saying pretty much the same the the same message coming through. It does all seem to be to do with terms and conditions, and it very much seems to focus on pay as well. Helen uh, is joining me uh, on air this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Helen.
10: Good afternoon, Patricia. Now
3: you you have you are a home helper, have been for the last seventeen years. I have indeed. Well, you're li- you're long time at it, so you're you're the person that we need to speak to. Well, and the person we need I to listen to. I have a little
10: bit of experience.
3: You do. All right. You have a lot. But you have a lot. what's, and I, what's I, wrong with the system?
10: Well, I'm delighted that um, Mr. Monaghan spoke last week in the Dáil and uh, it needs to go to the top of the agenda uh, fairly soon because, uh, as you all know, uh, the health service is in a real bad state and our little section of it, the home health, could be rectified very simply. We're paid very little, everybody knows that, we know that going into the job ourselves, but a decent increase would change the whole thing because, I mean, when it comes down to it, even though people mightn't like to admit it, uh, your pay is a sort of an image of the respect of the job that you're in. And the image of the job that we do isn't the greatest. Now, people know that we do very necessary work, People know that we have exams taken now uh, to do our work. People know that we do personal care. but uh, And basically, that is what we are supposed to be doing, personal care, meals, um, prompting, medication. But for some families, oh, wouldn't it be so nice? She'll do that bit of housework as well. Mm. And in some cases, the... The wear left on the table from the last meal, and oh, well, you know that's
3: that's just families abusing the system. That's, and it is that's, that's completely the con- wrong.
10: The connotation of home help, the old name, was someone who came in and did whatever they were asked, basically. Yeah. And they were paid absolute.
9: Oh,
3: that was pittance a pittance. Yeah, yeah.
10: Now we have care assistance. We have exams, so we're still on a poor wage. So
3: even with all the qualifications,
10: of course, we're not even on the living wage because remember, we don't go to work into one uh, establishment and do our day's work. We drive from house to house, and there might be three houses in the day, four, five, whatever you can manage, whatever, you know, whatever is there for you, whatever is um, workable. But with petrol and with wear and tear of vehicles. And we have no job without getting from house to house. So our wage has to reflect what we, our expenses of the day. And if the connotation could just be changed to care assistant, a girl with qualifications, a girl that will do personal care, that will make sure that the house is safe, that uh, the meal is given, the, the um, bed is dressed, that is part of it, uh, and that the medication is given, the respect needs to come up, and that will only come up with if the pay a fair pay. The pay is, is better.
3: Right. Yeah. And,
10: like, and uh, the thing about it is, in as you said earlier, that a whole lot more women and men would join to be, let's be honest about it, a more respectable job. Our petrol and wear and care vehicle would be taken into uh, consideration. And um, it would, the, the hospitals would be delighted because it would free up, it would de-stress those people who are in charge of um, discharging people in hospitals.
3: And the point I always make, Helen, whenever I speak about home care assistance, you are saving the state a fortune. Because if the people that you go out to care for were all all ended up in nursing home care, that nursing home care model, you know, costs a fortune.
10: Yeah, and the nursing home care isn't even there. I mean, Oh, there's that as well, yeah. Yeah, but this problem, a child in national school that would be, you know, a bright child in national school could tell you the answer to this. If you're not paid very much as it is, if you're only coming out with something like 13 or 14 euros an hour and you still had your petrol and, you know, wearing a chair of a car and time driving. It, you know, it, yeah, it's all you, don't paid, of it. you don't get paid.
3: You no. don't get paid for that. And no. this this notion like, of see, reducing they, the hour, it was always an hour. That's not
10: happening as much now. Is because it not? There was a big, no, there was a big kickback against that because, I mean, <laughs> that could actually backfire on them big time because you would be racing through jobs and you might let the house in a state that wasn't safe you'd be possibly showering a person and you wouldn't have time to dry the floor after you know i mean if you continue watching your watch sure anybody couldn't do a, a correct job you know it's all part of the respect that should be given to the job and it's you free up the system and you know um, it, it's a simple answer, and the real kernel of what I wanted to say was: if you're on a small wage, well, a decent increase is going to be great, and it's not going to cost the country that much. Mm. And, and they're already, you, uh, we're already saving nursing homes, and we'll be saving nursing
3: homes way more. And so hospitals, and the acute and hospitals. hospitals. Yeah. And uh, Helen, uh, Helen, do you worry for the future? I'm thinking in particular. How are we ever going to encourage younger people to take this on as a profession? Well,
10: the answer is simple. I mean, you're not supposed to say it in an interview. Of course you're not. What's attracting you to the job? You can't say the pay. But I mean, at the bottom of the day, the pay is a big part of it. Yeah. You know, and let's be honest about it.
3: There's no one goes to work for the fun of it? We all go to work to get paid.
10: No, no. And you, um, we're doing a very good job. We know that we are very well thanked in in the very most of uh, homes, the very most of homes. And like, it, it, like what maddens me is how simple it would be to fix it, and the great benefits of fixing it would free up the health care system for all the older people anyway. You know, which would be huge. How many bed blockers are there?
3: Yeah and I hate and I know you I hate I hate that phrase I just feel so sorry for older people but and yeah. as My, Michael Moynihan pointed out I mean I've been doing interviews about Home Helps over the last 10, 15, 20 years And you well, have no, I've, well, I've, I've texted you before You have I'm indeed but we, but before it was it was the financial reasons we were in a recession we were in the downturn they didn't have the money they were doing the best they could but as Michael Moynihan pointed out that's not the case they were awash with money the money is there We can't get the people. So we need to fix that. And we need to talk to people like you and others who've been doing it a long time because you have the answers.
10: Well, I'm addressing Mihal Martin this morning. He was a minister for health. He was a minister for education. I'm addressing Simon Coveney. I'm addressing Billy Kelleher. I'm addressing, um, is it Sean McGrath, Mr. McGrath? Michael McGrath. Michael McGrath. I'm addressing all the politicians in County Cork today, that this is a simple issue to solve. And, you know, the benefits would be huge. And let's face it, everybody who does a good day's work is entitled
3: to a living wage. Well it? well it? And it's a ticking time bomb and they need to react quickly. Helen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Keep, fly, keep flying the flag. And uh, thanks a million for joining us. Um, okay. I, bye-bye, bye-bye. And I think, Helen, very much uh, summing up. You know, this ain't rocket science. We're not asking anyone to invent the wheel, but something has to be done in order to retain the good staff that we have. But we also need to work really hard at recruiting uh, people and getting people to stay in the position. 0818 uh, 103 103. Uh, John Paul uh, continues to take your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103-103. 103
2: 103 The C103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie
3: Students from St Mary's Secondary School in Mallow are performing the musical Heartbreak Hotel. It opens tomorrow, Wednesday, and it runs up to and including next Friday. Tickets are available from the school on 022 21998. Trevor Sexton and Ger O'Donnell are playing in Gagan Community Hall next, on oh no, Friday the 24th of February. Tickets priced at 20 euro. It would make a lovely Valentine's gift, somebody is suggesting, while also supporting Gagan Community Hall. Uh, the Men's Shed in Rathgormack an information meeting for the Men's Shed in Rathgormack will be held in the local community hall on this Thursday, half past 11 in the morning, and all are very welcome. And Blarney and District Historical Society will present an illustrated uh, lecture. Entitled Rural Electrification 1946 to 1965. It's on next uh, Thursday at 8 o'clock in Skullmurragon Small. That's the Blarney Secondary School. And the guest speaker, Frank Donaldson. Everybody, very welcome.
11: Court today on C103
2: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: And on Home Helps, a listener says one of the private providers of home care pay 11 euro an hour and they don't pay travel expenses I know people are coming out with less than the dole every fortnight by the time they've taken their petrol expenses into account it is a disgrace and someone else says, Patricia when you're on about the home care providers and the home care workers not getting an adequate pay what about people on tooth and CE schemes we aren't entitled to a living wage either we work very hard well I do anyway Says this particular Texter. Thank you uh, for that. 0818103103. Now, the may have heard this on our news bulletins this morning, but the Minister with the responsibility for the Office of Public Works. Patrick O'Donovan is on a visit to Cork this morning and we sent our news reporter Mairead Tuig along and we asked her if she could find out more about the construction of the modular homes in Mallow that we've been discussing on the programme all across last uh, week so she asked him was there any confirmation on if these homes were going ahead
5: Well to my knowledge the sign there doesn't relate to any construction of housing but it relates to uh, exploratory works which there's a requirement for a- any works that goes on in a site even if their examination or investigative works uh, to notify the Health and Safety Authority, that's what that notice relates it to. It
3: said on it though that 30 modular homes and that it was going to start yeah. construction from today.
5: So no decision has been taken with respect to the construction of houses on that site because um, before any decision would be taken with respect to the construction of any houses, investigative works by the contractors has to take place and the Health and Safety Authority has to be notified. The local authority will obviously, um, through the Department of Children and it's my colleague Minister Roderick O'Garman, will notify the local authorities in advance of any construction starting. All of the sites that have been uh, provided uh, have been provided. All of the local authority sites have been provided. Uh, have been provided to the Department of Children and the Department of Children did make them available to the OPW to carry out investigative work. So the local authority in this in this case uh, would probably have been aware of the fact that it was under consideration, but no final decision has been made in it. No, the sign was in, in in order to carry out any exploratory or investigative works, which would be required to to to, to, uh, to examine a site's suitability to carry any form of housing. You have to put up a notice, and you have to notify the Health and Safety Authority of your intent to carry out those works. That's what that notice related to. No decision has been made with respect to um, w- uh, whether that site will will have houses on it. Are the number of ho- houses that would finally uh, farm part of it. So there's a bit of work that would have to be undertaken in that yet. But again, the council, in this case, Cork County Council, Uh, will be kept up to speed as they have because there is a working group in place in those uh, to make sure that any communication is done directly to them.
3: And when might a decision be known about the site?
5: I wouldn't like to comment on it because like with uh, uh, sites of that nature that are complicated, um, uh, you know, we have to have regard to our own engineering staff uh, and the engineering staff of the contractor uh, and I wouldn't want to be putting any time frame on it to put them under any kind of undue pressure other than to say that uh, many local authorities have provided us with sites for which uh, you know, the Department of Children, who are the principal authority, uh, you know, have expressed their own thanks. Uh, we ultimately have responsibility for managing the building of the houses, uh, and once they're built, they'll be handed over to the Department of Children, who will then allocate them, uh, and they're underway in a number of sites across the country, and the elected representatives in many locations have uh, been hugely supportive, quite, uh, you know, uh, have brought forward their own suggestions uh, for which the Department of Children, I know, have been working with them, as have OPW staff as well on the ground in terms of the actual mechanics of the delivery. But all in all, so far, um, we're on track and on target, and we're very happy with the progress that
1: we're making.
3: Okay, that is Minister Patrick O'Donovan who is with, he is the Minister with the responsibility for the OPW uh, confirming that no decision has yet been taken on the construction of those modular homes in Mallow. As soon as anything breaks on that story we re- will bring it to you. But one of the big arguments I think and the reason that uh, local people went out and protest at that site last week was to do with the fact that a number of people are on the council's housing list for quite some time and people were saying how come the OPW and the government can come up with money to build modular homes for Ukrainian refugees why can't they build modular homes for people that are on the housing list and people are just desperate to try to own their own home so with owning your own home in mind there is a little bit of uh, good news on that front for people People who are trying to get a mortgage and this is this will cover first time buyers they'll be able to withdraw loans from their local council for houses depending on what part of the country you're in but it could be up to €360. It's new changes to the government scheme and this is for people who've been turned down for mortgages by a bank. The Housing Minister, Daryl O'Brien, is bringing a memo to Cabinet seeking to increase housing price and income limits which are set out under the Local Authority Home Loan Scheme. Now the initiative has been in place for a number of years and I know some city and county councils have been providing uh, Funding to first time buyers and the specific for people who went to um, the the traditional route, they went to the traditional lenders in the banks and they were turned down for a mortgage. So then they were able to apply, if they met the criteria, they could apply under this local authority home loan scheme. So the changes to the scheme have been introduced, obviously, to reflect the rising cost of houses in recent years. For example, under the changes uh, to the scheme, and we've got to wait for the memo to go to Cabinet, but for houses in Dublin, for example, we know uh, Dublin and areas like Dunleary have some of the most expensive houses in the country. So the limits there are going to increase by €40,000 and people can borrow for houses up to 360000 But of course, we're more interested in what's happening here in Cork City and County. For Cork City and County, the limit is going to increase by €10,000. Which means if you qualify, you could borrow, get a council loan and borrow to buy a house up to 330000 And also the income limits for a single person applying for a loan, that's going to increase. To 70,000 euro, that's going to be nationwide. Uh, and for a joint application, it'll rise at the moment to 75,000. But if there is a couple applying for the loan, their income limit will also go up to 85,000 euro. So a couple, technically, on 85,000 euro. They've been turned down by the banks, they can't get a mortgage. They will be able to now apply for this special loan from the local authority and they can purchase the house up to €33,000 uh, a euro. And in order to qualify for the scheme, a first-time buyer, obviously they've got to be employed. For the last uh, two years, they also have to have been turned down by at least two uh, lenders. And listen, there'll be many people listening to me talking about this and nodding, going, yes, I've been turned down by two and more. And the loan also can be used to either purchase a new home. It can be used to purchase a second hand home and it can also be used to build a home. But it is specifically for first time buyers. So that's a, a little bit. No, it's not. I don't know how many extra houses it will build but it's certainly there will be a category of uh, people who, I mean to think of a single person on 70,000 euro, 70,000 euro is a good income but somebody on 70,000 euro at the moment simply can't afford to buy a house going the traditional route into the bank but they may, may now uh, be able to buy under the local authority home loan scheme. We'll keep a close eye on when, uh, just anything I read online or um, in the papers today it doesn't say when but I'm expecting that Dara O'Brien will bring that memo to the cabinet Probably, uh, maybe even as early as this week. So, if we get any more on that, we'll bring it to you. 0818103103. I started the program this morning by talking about that devastating earthquake in Turkey and in Syria. And would you believe somebody says, I just got a scam text purporting to be from concern looking for donations for Turkey and Syria please don't click on the link goodness me how those scam artists immediately they are in like uh, a shot that is absolutely shocking and I did send on to somebody uh, who was when we were talking with Nancy Creighton about just educating people and for everyone who owns dogs to make sure you're doing the right thing by your dog so that you are a responsible pet owner and she is offering a free prepare your dog for your baby uh, course and they run a lot of other different uh, courses. It's um, somebody who's having difficulty finding the website. It's credencecollege.ie. And I've just Googled and gone into it. And it's, it's, up, it's up online. And I can see the free prepare your dog for your baby course. You can simply click on that. So it's www.credencecollege.ie. IE
11: Court today on C103
2: with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't
9: just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.IE This is the Court Today replay on C103.
3: I'm delighted to say that Joe Heffernan is back with us. He's been off for the last uh, two weeks and I'd love to say that he was sunning himself on an exotic island. Good afternoon to you, Joe, but you were actually having, I don't know if I'd quite call it a procedure. You were having surgery. You had your hip replaced. How are you doing?
11: I had a hip replacement. I, I suppose you'd say, uh, Patricia, I'm in early earlyish recovery. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, struggling a bit, but uh, doing okay. And, um, you know, down from two crutches to one kind of thing. And
3: yeah, you know. OK, well done. And, and that's why today you've decided to talk about resilience, because yeah. I think after surgery, that road back to normal life and the recovery, you probably need resilience more than ever.
11: You do. You do. And um there were some points that I was uh, researching about uh, resilience. And, um, well, one of them, the first one really was uh, to maintain good relationships with close family members and friends. And um, I have to say now that I am being extremely well looked after by uh, the good wife, Mary. Um, You know, whether it is is a cup of tea, uh, whether it is um, uh, helping me to put on the socks, um, or whatever else um, uh, always there and always helpful yeah so and I
3: suppose that the key there is is you know when you are recovering after something like that is to reach out and accept that help because some people find that difficult
11: yeah well <laughs> I'd find it much more difficult to try and put on the socks Patricia without so. her <laughs> yeah yeah No, and and the, the boys are great I mean I get, I get phone calls or texts um, nearly every day, and um you know um the the local parish priest now father jim canelli uh, he has he he held about my woes and he has called a few times just to say how how are you, Joe, and that like so yeah um uh, I I I am I am uh, I'm I'm being very well um, looked after by family and friends.
3: Okay, so so that's and the top of the list because there's there's, yeah. there's ten ways they that yeah. you build resilience.
11: Well, the second one then is to avoid seeing crisis or stressful events as unbearable burdens or unbearable problems. Like because that's a huge word, like unbearable. Um, uh, an old philosophy that I've used most of my life, all of my life, you could say, um, is like, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the day will come again when I won't be hobbling around and that I'll be able to put on my own socks and things. Yeah. And, um, you know, so um, looking forward with a bit of optimism like that, um, uh, I find helpful too, Um if I thought that um, that there would not be improvement, um, I could easily be downhatted. But the thing about it is that. I've already seen proof. I mean, I'm better now than I was a fortnight ago. You yeah, know? and
3: this day, next week, when, when we speak, you'll be even better again. And you're, and you're coming into a time of year, I think, as well, where there's a little bit of a stretch in the evening, which is, is great to see. And ho- the weather will be getting better and, you know, the longer evenings w- will be there. So it'll, yeah. be, it'll be a good time to be able to get out, get out and about. So yeah. number, number three is to accept circumstances that cannot be changed. Now, that's yeah. important when it comes to resilience.
11: Yeah. Um, we, we all know that uh, that serenity um, uh uh accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference like this afternoon now i will take a short walk outside um and uh, and that will be done and um and and that will 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 help so the things i can change i will and the things that i can't do uh, I'm back to the socks again. You'll the take things the I can't do, yeah. I'll just accept that.
3: And um, then that ties in with setting realistic goals, doesn't it?
11: Well, it does. It does. And I mean, I have uh, I have my little short term goals now, like that little walk this afternoon, and uh, I have my longish term goals. Then, like I'd hope to be back playing a game of golf in May. Um, uh, that's something I've dangling like a carrot out in front of me. that um, that I hope will happen.
3: Um, So so, set the goals and just move towards those goals.
11: Absolutely. In other words, to take decisive actions, um, even when things aren't great. So the little bit of exercise uh, there now will... um, you know, will be a little step in the right direction. I I, I do not, I presume it's we'll not going to work any great miracle, but will definitely be uh, literally a step or steps mm. in the right direction.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. even the whole psychological thing of knowing that you've done it, yeah. you know, it, it yeah. is great. Uh, look for opportunities of self discovery after a struggle with loss. So explain that one.
10: Well,
11: you know, um, a kind of, again, a kind of an acceptance that life can be tough. And, um, uh, you know, I remember a saying, I can't remember who used to say it or where it got said or anything. It was like, we never died a winter yet. And um, that uh, I've been through things in my life um, and uh, came out the other end. And, um, you know, so that gives me a great amount of hope that I'll come out the other end of this as well. Um uh, and, you know, it helps as well with empathy when one works with people that, um, you know, I know it sounds a little bit peculiar to say like, but I mean, um, that life isn't perfect um, for uh, a person uh, teaches them to empathize with others. That uh, that life can be tough. And, um, and I suppose if we were never tested in life, um, we wouldn't have that. Uh, empathy to go um uh, to walk down the path um of of others who would be in a you know in a relatively better situation mm. really mm.
3: okay yeah. um the to develop self confidence obviously when it comes to resilience self confidence that's what it's all about isn't it
11: Yeah, and and to be hopeful, um, you know, to be optimistic, to to say, um, again, going back up to what I was saying there earlier, this too shall pass. I mean, um, I I have no doubt um, that the day will come that I'll be, you know, standing up straight and walking normally and uh, and that life will return to uh, some bit of... um, uh, you know healthy normality yeah I mean anyone who's
3: ever had hip or knee replacements they're extremely successful uh, operations and you know life goes on and you won't know yourself then you know because you're back obviously pain free which is which is, I is, is, is an
11: extremely yeah, successful yeah. thing now the thing is I was only barely half out of a spinal operation in last November so that um, yeah yeah, the old body is taking a bit of a battering at the moment. <laughs> well, we we but
3: were talking with great affection about you in the office, saying you're like Superman, and the way you bounce back after after these operations uh, is incredible.
11: Well, you know, it it, it, um, it like for example now having having the um, uh, today with your good self and JP um, uh, as uh, on on the radio uh, that meant um, get up. Get dressed and uh do your extra bit of research and etc. And and that's good for me. Mm. Um because um ah uh, just um, languishing around all day now. No, I'd, I'd I'd languish very well if I had to, but like to do what I'm able to do, yeah, which isn't yeah. a lot, but it's um it's a bit.
3: Yeah, 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 and it's a bit more, as you say, than you were doing this time last week. Now, to keep um to keep a, a long term perspective and consider the stressful event in a broader context.
11: Yeah, that um that that this is as I said there earlier that this isn't an unbearable problem, that that it is a fact that this too shall pass and that um, one would hope that one would be all the better for it. I suppose um, uh, nobody would volunteer for it if, um, you know, if they didn't see it as as helpful and as positive. And I suppose like a lot of things in life, um, um, the old bit of humour helps as well,
2: Mm.
3: Um,
11: you know.
2: Keeping, um, keeping the sun, keeping the sunny side. Uh, Mary out.
11: had an operation on on her um, on her knee uh, some time back, so I was kind of saying that we could form a new twelve-step group called Crocs Anonymous. You know, <laughs> um, that yeah. So you know, it is. There's a bit of humour to be found in the two somewhere. <laughs> Some I, days you have to look very hard to find it but I do it. But yeah. it's, it's
3: maintaining it's, I'm a firm believer in maintaining a hopeful outlook always trying to see there is light at the end of the tunnel the glass is half full rather than half empty.
11: Yeah. Yeah. And to have a little project in mind like um, um, I saw there now where the army vans um. Uh, are 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 playing and uh whether uh, streaming or not um i'd like to tune into that and have a listen to it and um i'd be hoping that um as against the last three years when there was none, that there might be a wee bit of a holiday this year
3: yeah
11: um so there'd be, be little goals now that are out there and that I hope would happen, you know.
3: And you can visualise that as well and the visualisation is, is terrific. And then, the, you know, the tenth and final one of Building Resistance is, it's it's just, it's taking care of your mind and your body.
9: Yeah,
11: yeah. Like the one thing that um, I suppose a person, um, my favourite, uh, maybe second favourite, but very favourite hobby anywhere would be reading. Now, you'd want to be very badly cropped that you couldn't hold up a book. And, um, so, um, you know, to kind of, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, drift off to, I don't know, uh, Jack Reacher's world or, um, whoever, uh, John Rebus, um, the Ian Rankin books. Um, I'd be into those big time. And, um, you know, I, I I would succeed in um in becoming immersed in the story. Yeah. And that way then um <laughs> I'm not thinking all the time, how's my hip, how's my hip. I know, I'm I know. Kind of, I'm Dave, get, lo- in get, lost,
3: get lost in, in the book. OK, Jackie and Carrie Galine says, could you wish the best of luck to Joe after his surgery? And someone else says, uh, David says, tell Joe there's actually a simple little tool you can get for putting on your socks. I had to get one after my hip uh, replacement. But you see, Joe was fine because he has the help in that Mary doesn't mind putting your socks on.
11: Absolutely, Good. and um, uh, and and I'll go online and I'll have a quick look, look. at the socks. puller up. Okay, <laughs> listen.
3: You look after yourself, and we'll chat again next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks a you million, for Joe. Bye bye. Joe Heffernan runs a counselling practice in Boho Bui. His number is oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. Listening to Joe talk about resilience. Listen, said I got a beautiful card from a person that read, "Fear can keep you prisoner." But it's hope will set you free. That's a great thing. And all about resilience. Thank you for that. And could you wish a happy birthday? 99 years young today to a special mum and nana. That's Mary Ann Cullinan in Kiss Came Village. She's had a lovely few days celebrating with family and friends. Thanks in particular to Father Jim Kennelly for her birthday mass. And I'm told plans are already underway for the 100th. birthday celebration which will be this day next year happy birthday and lots of love from all of the family that is Mary Ann Cullinan in Kiskame Village. 99 years young today. Happy birthday to you, Mary Ann. That's our leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul, who produced Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10.
2: Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.